Before Sally reads our passage, I want to give us a brief context. Our sermon text comes from the end of Paul's first letter to that ancient church in Corinth. Geographically, Corinth was at a crossroad of trade and commerce and culture. People went there to make money and have a lot of fun doing it. Corinth was a decadent place. Consider it like a cross between Las Vegas and New York City with a bit of Burning Man thrown in. The temple of Aphrodite was at the center of the city. She was goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. At its peak, the temple offered thousands of temple prostitutes. So debauched was the city of Corinth that its name was turned into a verb, to Corinthianize. It is into this city that the hope of Easter spread. And yet, many in the church in Corinth were living as if Easter had little significance in their daily lives. They continued to hold on to Greco-Roman worldviews, that, that there is no life after death, that, that this life is all there is, so, so make the most of it now. Isn't that how we tend to live? As if there is no age to come, and so we stress and struggle to make this life everything it needs to be. But Easter puts an end to all that if we will but embrace the hope that God gives us in Christ. And so now let's look at our sermon text together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 26. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelfth. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of our Lord. Well, you don't need to adjust your screen. Yes, I'm standing here holding on to an umbrella. No, it's not raining outside, and, and there's no leak in the roof, at least not that I know of. I'm under this umbrella because it provides us with a wonderful visual for the hope that Easter gives us. Easter is an umbrella of hope from heaven under which we may come and find protection and relief in this life, and yes, also in the life to come. And so the message of Easter is, in a sense, Come to the resurrected Son of God. Stand under his umbrella of grace. And he will not only care for you throughout this life, but also he will deliver you into the resurrected age to come. The day in which God restores the earth and comes down to dwell with his people. And so Easter is an invitation to come. Stand with Christ under his umbrella of grace. But our problem is, we already have umbrellas under which we stand. And we tend to think that they are protecting us from the elements of life just fine. Our umbrellas can be relatively good things, like a degree from a prestigious college or an envious career path or a long life of exquisite tales of conquering in the marketplace or conquering on social media or, or conquering in bed. So we might not notice it, but we all craft umbrellas in life. We hope that by holding on to them, we will find protection from the storms of life. All may go badly, but at least I have my stocks or good looks or fill in the blank. And so we, we, we stand under the umbrellas of successful career or, or dignified family or enviable possessions or giant nest eggs. And, and we can feel good and we can feel secure and protected. But the problem is, though we think we're standing under a large and trustworthy umbrella that provides all we need, we are in fact holding on to, well, one of these. Can you see it? Yes, it's a, a cocktail umbrella. Can you imagine trying to protect yourself from one of our blustery nor'easters with this cocktail napkin? Toothpicks and tissue paper, that's all it is. It seems like, at times like this, it seems, you know, these, with a nor'easter of a, a corona pandemic, we, we, can come to, we can come to see how small and fragile our umbrellas are. It's times like these where we feel vulnerable, exposed, anxious. And yet, there will be a day when the scare is over. And so we listen intently to the news broadcasts. Maybe things will be put back to normal in May or perhaps June at the latest. And so our tendency will, will be to keep holding on to our tiny little umbrellas as before. 
But there's a far bigger issue with the tiny umbrellas we hold on to. See, there is a storm coming that none of us can avoid. And the man-made umbrellas we stand under will fail us miserably. That storm is our death. All of us will one day die. And our umbrellas will be torn from our grasp at our death. Now... Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I know our website advertised an uplifting Easter message, but consider this truth. Until you know that you are down, you cannot be lifted up. And so the truth is, death awaits all of us, but God offers us hope in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. That word literally means good news. It's the good news of Easter. In verse 1, Paul calls the church to remember what God has done for them at Easter And we need to remember too, right? Look at verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In verse 1, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that this gospel message was preached to them, and they received it. And, and stand under this umbrella of God's grace. And so Paul implores them not to return to their old umbrellas, but instead to what? To hold fast to this umbrella under which they stand. Easter is an invitation to lay down our puny little umbrellas that we think can get us through life and lay hold of the sturdy, reliable, life-giving umbrella of God's grace that is ours in Christ. And so the question for us this morning is this. Have you or will you come to stand under the umbrella of hope from heaven? As we look at this hope from heaven, we will divide our time under three headings. The fact, the faith, and the fruit. First, the fact. You know, Easter isn't about Easter bunnies or eggs benedict or new dresses. Paul says of first importance, there are things that must be received. In verse 20, Paul emphatically states, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In verses 3 to 11, he lays down more facts for us to look at. Verse 3, um, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. According with the Scriptures means that God has been planning this. And there are many Old Testament scripture passages that not only predict Christ's death on the cross, but also explain why we need him to come. That Jesus lived the perfectly good and glorious life for God in our place. And that he died on the cross in our place, taking all of our sin upon himself for us. Fact two, he was buried. This is an important fact. It emphasizes that the reality that Jesus was literally dead. He wasn't sleeping. He was placed in a tomb because his heart wasn't beating. He was D-E-A-D, dead. In fact, three, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Three days later also emphasizes the absolute deadness of his body. It wasn't three hours later, but three days later. This was no resuscitation. This was resurrection. 
Fourth and final fact, Jesus appeared to many people, thus proving he is risen. He is risen indeed. Verses 5 through 9, we read, And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. As if he's asking, if you don't believe me, go and talk to them. There's eyewitnesses. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. Why? Unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. My friends, Paul is saying that we can believe the fact of Jesus' resurrection because hundreds were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Every day in our society and in courts of law, we rely on eyewitness testimony to convey the facts. And Paul lays out the facts for the church in Corinth to remind them of just how amazing the gospel is that they have received. Verse 11, he writes, Whether then it was I or they, that's other apostles, so we preach and so you believed. These are facts for us to receive and believe too. Now, here's where some of you are challenged. See, this is a miracle, a real miracle. This past February, our family went on a short snowboarding trip to Lake Placid. Yes, we're snowboarders, not skiers. Sorry if I offend anybody. Um, It just so happened that the week we were there was the 40th anniversary of the miracle on ice. They made a movie about it. You can watch it tonight. When the amateur American Olympic ice hockey team took on the mighty Russian team in the semifinals and won. But really it wasn't a miracle, right? The Russians underestimated the Americans and they came out soft. And the Americans played the game of their lives and won. We call it the miracle on ice. But it wasn't a real miracle. But Easter is a miracle, a miracle that the laws of science were interrupted by God who created all the scientific laws in the first place. I don't know about you, but I used to pride myself in how I ridiculed Christians for believing in miracles. I've now come to believe that if there is a God who created everything, then certainly, right, he has the power to bypass even his own laws and provide a genuine miracle like raising Jesus from the dead. Ultimately, I've come to realize It's not so much a head problem as it is a heart problem. Our hearts do not want the resurrection to be true. For if it is true, then there is a God in heaven. And if there is a God in heaven, then there's no way of me hiding from him. My life is laid bare. So that is the fact of Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ really occurred. And this is something to be believed. Now, for the faith. Our faith gives us a hope that isn't just for this lifetime. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's not like the meaning we usually think of, like, I hope that boy will ask me out on a date. No, hope in the Bible, hope that the Bible gives you, 
are certainties that you can lay hold of in hopeful longing for when they will finally come true. They are certainties that we grab a hold of and hope in them. Our problem with holding fast to hopes that are for this life only, that's our problem. We hold fast to things that only really matter here and now. And so Paul admits that if coming under the umbrella of Christ only gives you hope in this life, but not in the age to come, then we Christians are are pitiful. And so you might as well cling to the umbrellas that seem to offer more in this life. Now, the umbrellas in Corinth are similar to ours today. How so? Well, on the one hand, stoicism was prevalent. Resolve not to, not to let life get the best of you. Temper your expectations. Control your emotions. Many today live like this. Perhaps you. You were dutiful. You don't complain much. Well, except when you're critical of how others aren't in control, like you. The problem with Stoics is that they downplay life. They shun joyful experiences and the flourishing of life that God has made us all to enjoy. God has made us in his image, and and He's understand this, my friends. He is a joyful, happy, fruitful, creative, artistic God. And we are designed for this dignity of life. But Stoics suppress it and tell themselves they are the better for it. Another popular worldview in in Paul's day and ours is that of the Epicureans. You know their famous motto that sums up their approach to life. Eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. Modern day Epicureans are everywhere in America. They live as if this life is all there is. is. So they they take the bull by the horns and, and they live it up. Stoics They despise the 50 shades of gray of the Epicureans, and the Epicureans loathe the one shade of gray of the Stoics. Now, the problem with both these approaches to life is what? Listen, they they fail the timeline test. What's the timeline test? I'm glad you asked. Once again, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying that any hope that is for this life only is a pitiful hope. The Stoics hope, their umbrellas, do not carry them beyond the grave. And neither do the Epicureans. They do not pass the timeline test, for they do not carry you beyond your death. Paul wants us to see that that in the gospel, God gives us a certain hope that brings us under God's umbrella of grace And it carries on past the grave and into, listen, an eternal, joyful life in amazing, resurrected bodies on a new and perfect earth in God's delightful presence. You want to read more on this? Read further in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about what these bodies will be like. My friends, only this umbrella of God's grace given at Easter passes the timeline test. If Christ isn't your hope, then I ask that you look at the umbrellas you're trying to stand under, your career, your stash of Bitcoin, your reputation, your hard work that brings you pleasures like big homes, lavish travel, expensive school for your kids. Look at your umbrella. And yes, you've got one. You're not sure what it is? 
Look at the checkbook register, if you still use such a thing. See where your money goes. Look at your web browser's history. Can you at least admit that the hope you're holding on to does not pass the timeline test? Only the gospel gives you a hope that passes the timeline test. My friends, it's true, right? Your heart longs for human flourishing, and not just for 75 years. Your heart longs for eternal joys and happiness, and under the umbrella of God's grace, this certain hope becomes yours. My friends, if faith is another word for trust, then Easter provides you, invites you rather, to trust in Christ. Place your faith in his work he has done for you. And drop your toothpick and tissue umbrella and come under God's eternal umbrella of grace. Only the gospel gives you a hope that passes the timeline test. Rest your faith in it. So we've seen the facts and the faith. Now for the fruit. Paul writes of the fruit in verses 20 through 26. We won't be able to cover all of it, but just some, some, some important details. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul describes Jesus' resurrection as first fruits. What is that? Well, if you're a farmer or an orchard owner, you would know. You wait all season long for the fruit to begin to be produced. And then there it is. With great joy, you look at those first grapes, those first figs. The first fruits means that you can count on the full harvest in the weeks to come. And so to have the first fruits is a cause for joy. It assures you that the the hope of more to come. It assures you that you will experience it. And so Paul is saying that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits and that just as Christ has risen from the dead, so too all who belong to him. It's interesting. Paul describes Christians who have died as, as those who have fallen asleep. Here's what Paul is saying. Like Christ who died, we too will die, but it'll be more like sleep. How so? Well, our souls will, will, will come into the presence of Christ in heaven, but there is a later day to come that Paul calls the end, not the Montauk end, but the end, um, the day when God, that God has fixed that, that, so that all that has gone wrong with the world um, will be miraculously um, fixed. And, and, and we who have died in Christ, who are asleep in Christ, will be, all, in fact, all of humanity will be, miraculously reunited with their physical bodies and stand before God. And listen, those standing under their own umbrellas, they will see in that moment that the lives they lived were actually in rebellion to God and certainly not lived for his glory. They were turned in lives, selfish lives, even as they gave to great causes and served and did all kinds of wonderful, marvelous things, but it was their own umbrella they were under. And they will depart in humiliation, is what Scripture says. But those who stand under the umbrella of God's grace to us in Christ will remain in exaltation and glory for all eternity. And oh, by the way, this eternal age to come will not in the least bit be boring. (laughs) You will never tire of the new life Christ gives you. That is what Paul says Jesus, Jesus does for us. 
He makes us alive in this age, but also in the age to come. Jesus puts death to death. Did you see that? Let's reread verses 21 through 26. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, but also in Christ shall, be, um, shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. That's all the messed up things in this world. Going on, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And check this out. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What a remarkable promise. You know, this past week marked the 75th anniversary of Adolf Hitler's execution of the wonderful German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here is how Bonhoeffer describes the hope um, that coming under the umbrella of Christ brings to us. He writes, It is not that God's help and presence must still be proved in our life. Rather, God's presence and help have been demonstrated for us in the life of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ died is more important than the fact that I will die. And the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the sole ground of my hope that I too will be raised on the day of judgment. Our salvation is from outside ourselves. I find salvation not in my life story, but only in the story of Jesus Christ. Only those who allow themselves to be found in Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, cross, and resurrection, are with God and God with them. So we've looked at the fact and the faith and the fruit. I hope you've seen that scripture has, scripture has clearly shown us this morning the fact of Easter. It's a historical fact that God raised Jesus from the grave. And we have seen that our faith is not futile. Our, our faith has attached us to the living Son of God. And the fruit of this new life is already ours. Yes, I know. We're, we're living in the already not yet. Christ and his kingdom has come, but it is not yet here in its fullness. And so as we hold on to this umbrella of God's grace, we wait for the day when he has put all his enemies under his feet, including the last enemy to be destroyed, death itself. As Jesus promised, he is coming and on that day, those who belong to Christ will experience the fullness of resurrected life. For now, God has graciously offered us his umbrella of grace. And so, Easter calls us all. Will we reject the gospel? Or will we receive it and hold fast to it? Will you hold fast to your little cocktail umbrella that cannot pass the timeline test? Or will you hold fast to the umbrella of grace that God offers us in Christ this Easter? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your abundant umbrella of grace. Thank you for sending your Son to live and die and rise for us so that we may belong to him, that he may give us life and care for our souls. You are a good, good Father. And Jesus, you are a good, good Savior. This Easter, we are reminded of the gospel we received and in which we stand, the gospel that is saving us. By your grace and by power of the Holy Spirit, we hold fast to Christ, our Lord. It is in his name we pray. Amen.